What is up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Austin Jardine, and this is the Vanguard Project. Happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. Uh, to kick today off, I just want to let you all know that I really appreciate you for the ratings and reviews. You're all awesome. The feedback I've gotten to help push forward, I appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please take a quick second to leave a rating and review. It really does help grow the show. Uh, gets us out there a little bit more, and uh, really does, too, give me uh, the warm and fuzzy. Uh, also, please drop by the website vanguardstories.com to pick up some swag. We've got some shirts and all sorts of other stuff out there printing. We've got shirts on premium and next level branded shirts that turned out phenomenally. Like I said, that's vanguardstories.com, and I would love for you to go pick up some swag and tag me on the Instagram, just the Vanguard Project with periods in between. Uh, yeah. I'm super happy about uh, how the shirts are turning out. So please go pick some up and uh, follow us. Tag me. Let's see. Uh, let's see if we can uh, continue to grow uh, the podcast, the community, and uh, see how this thing turns out. But uh, as a refresher for those of you maybe coming into this podcast new or uh, forget what this shenanigans all about is, uh, my goal with the podcast is best summed up as growth through story, strength through community. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, I want folks to share their stories in a way that relates to you, uh, hopefully to give you some insights or different ways of thinking about your own life, potentially finding a new passion, a new way forward, or a p potentially a community to join in on. So uh, my style truly revolves around active listening, where I do my best not to uh, command the conversation, but really let the interviewee tell their story and share their life experiences. So uh, that's my goal, really to share their stories and give you all some good tidbits to chew on. And uh, with all that being said, today's episode is uh, brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I am a big Black Rifle fan for honestly a number of reasons. The people are awesome. I've been really fortunate to have interacted with a handful of folks and they are just amazing people, but they make phenomenal coffee. Actually, as I'm editing this episode, it's, it's a Sunday afternoon for me or Sunday morning. I've not slept really. I've not slept well this week. I, it's been super weird, but, but I'm sipping on some Flying Elk coffee. And honestly, I think that this is at least right now, my favorite. It is not too sweet, not too bitter, kind of just has the right amount of caffeine, goes down easy. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's it's a great tasting coffee. And uh, if you feel the need to uh, to pick up some for yourself, whether that's a single bag, maybe some ready-to-drink ready to servings, or or the instant coffees, that's another one of my favorites, is their little, their little steep bags. They're like little square packets that are uh, coffee ready to go. So like if you're hunting, hiking, camping, whatever the case may be, and you want a, a good gut punch of caffeine, you just throw it in some hot water, let it steep, and those things also taste really good. Uh, hit up uh, Black Rifle website use code vanguard for 20 percent off which is nuts and that also includes subscriptions so if you uh, are in a uh, an obsessive coffee drinker like me i think i go at least through two pots a day uh just uh, use code vanguard get 20 percent off including their subscriptions uh black rifles website like i said just code vanguard 20 percent but without further ado i'm gonna stop chatting and we're gonna talk to mr dan he's a big marketing and creative guy so i'm really excited to chat and get to know him so uh, I'm going to stop rambling and I'm going to keep drinking this coffee because now I've got cotton mouth, but let's roll it. What? 
What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just a dude outside of Boise, Idaho. I've uh, learned to talk to people, and I've learned that I really enjoy talking to people and uh, getting their stories, learning about who they are, where they come from, what they've done to get to where they're at. And uh, my hope with this podcast and uh, talking to these folks is that you learn something new. Maybe get excited about something, learn a new skill set or some way to get involved with whatever it is that you are most excited about. And I've had a few cups of coffee today, as Dan and I were talking about. And uh, it's Friday, at least we're recording, so I'm ready for, for the weekend. But Dan, I appreciate you hopping on, man. How how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. You know, as we, as you know, we're, we're rolling up to SHOT Show and, um, you know, things are complicated. It's uh, with the, you know, pandemic and, you know, the legitimate risk of closing down, you know, our factories if we bring people back from SHOT Show. So, you know, one of the brands that I work for is going uh, with a skeleton crew and the other has pulled out, but they've sent, you know, sales reps and executives just to handle, you know, meetings, which I think is, you know, the right choice. In fact, I've, I've heard today that in the main hall uh, for shot, there's 140 people or 140 vendors that are going to be no shows. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's not just us. And, you know, we, we do want to make sure the NSF uh, NSSF survives and then shot show survives because we, we do see its value. Uh, but we gotta, gotta protect our business interests also. Yeah, for sure. Now I know, you know, I'm relatively aware of the brands that you work with and kind of what it is that you do. Um, do you mind just kind of introducing yourself a little bit more and then kind of maybe the relationship to shot show that you were just mentioning or, or how that plays into your life now? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I work for two brands that are fairly popular within the firearms industry. One is Vertex. That's V-E-R-T-X. Uh, they manufacture, you know, low visibility apparel and products um, for, you know, we, we sell things to the government. We sell things to the prepared, the prepared uh, professional, uh, the civilian end user, as, you know, some people would call them. Uh, and then the other one is a firearms manufacturer based out of Centralia, Washington, called Zev Technologies. Um, you know, Zev's been in the market, you know, for over a decade, manufacturing, uh, starting with triggers. That was their their main thing. It was founded by a guy named Al Wolf, who's super cool. Uh, it was originally based in California. They did, uh, they acquired Mega Arms, which some people will probably be familiar with. Um, and, you know, they moved up there, uh, you know. We've done a lot of work with the company and, uh, you know, now we make a bunch of cool stuff like AR-15s. Uh, we manufacture our own hand, uh, our own handgun called the OZ-9 and we've got you know, a bunch of different variants of that. Uh, so those are, those are the brands. And, you know, this is the week for SHOT Show, which those brands would normally be uh, attending if the world hadn't gone mad. Yep. Yep. I've definitely oogled over uh, several Zev firearms over the years. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been fun, man. I work for another firearms manufacturer kind of kind of as a, a marketing officer, but it's such a tiny company. Didn't you know, doesn't really count. That company was called Landtac. Um, you know, that was that was my first experience at a you know firearms manufacturer. I haven't actually worked for a firearms vendor uh, up until about three years ago, I'd always kind of been in the apparel and tactical accessory space. Um, so I worked for another manufacturer called high threat concealment. Who's no longer with us, you know, God rest their souls. <clears throat> uh, 
And, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I learned the equipment and low visibility side, which kind of led me into working for Vertex. Okay. So did you grow up, and I know that we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, and this is kind of where I think it's going to be a lot of fun diving into it, but did you grow up in kind of the outdoor firearms tactical industry, or was that something that slowly formed into life now? I, I, I didn't. Um, I, I grew up as a, you know, a skateboarding, uh, and BMX riding, punk rock, and hardcore kid, and I think my, my first experience, I mean, my father owned guns, you know, we, we had guns and we shot guns, you know, when I was younger, it just wasn't ever like a huge passion. And, you know, my first foray into firearms was not like, man, I want a gun. This is cool. I got a gun stuck in my face. That was my introduction to like <laughs> firearms. <laughs> I got robbed over a dollar and 55 cents. I, I was, a guy was looking into my like cheap piece of junk forward in the apartment complex I lived in. And I walked up not very smart and just was like, Hey man, you know, and that was his answer to, Hey man, was the business end of, you know, what I think was like a Glock 19. And, um, you know, I, I made a, a conscious decision to immediately save up cash, you know, not, not having uh, necessarily the resources, you know, but I was like, that can't happen again. So that's, that's how I ended up purchasing like one of my first guns. Interesting. So yeah. in that moment, it, I, so I've never been on the business end of a gun, right? I mean, I've been around guns. I've been on the, the trigger end of it. How, how did you take that experience and turn it into, I guess, a positive more or less? It, it just really kind of, I guess, man, I hadn't really experienced anything like that you know like most people are going to go through their life and never experience anything like that and i don't know necessarily i mean i guess in the end things worked out mm -hmm. um i i knew that like i'm not i'm not a talisman kind of guy i never have i try to be extremely grounded and i knew i you you always run across guys when you're younger that have guns that are into guns and they wave them around and they act tough and you know that that's never what I wanted to be or, you know, viewed as. Uh, so, you know, I went out and I purchased a, a Glock 26 was my first handgun. And I went and got a concealed carry permit and I learned how, you know, to carry it properly in a holster. I took, you know, some, some kind of what I would describe as FUD training classes, but then, you know, this is, this is over 20 years ago and they, you know, they'll get you by. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I really wanted to learn how to be, you know, a professional alert. I wanted to learn how to like be responsible and, you know, be responsible if I ever had to use it, you know, like I understood. I'm like, man, these, these guys, I think they're going to get into a gunfight in a parking lot because some guy tried to rob them and everything's going to be hunky dory afterwards. It's like not necessarily, man. So I, I just didn't want to end up on the wrong side of the law. Sure. You know? So was, uh, I guess, was violence or gun violence pretty commonplace growing up for you or? I live in, uh, you know, in or about Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. And it's, it's a little like the wild, wild west out here, man. It's, um, there's a lot of gang violence. There's a lot of gun violence. Uh, you know, that doesn't, you know, as a, as the citizenry, you know, that has to live within that, you know, I don't think that those people being disarmed, you know, would make, you know, 
there, there be le- any less gun violence, you know, we, we just can't be soft targets. Sure. Right. So, yeah, I certainly grew up with it and around it. Um, okay. Okay. So growing up in and around it then, um, and kind of purchasing, purchasing your first firearm, how did you start to translate that into, I guess, daily life and potentially, you know, down the path of turning it into a career? I mean, did you want to be in the firearms industry or the marketing side of things growing up or how did that just, it just kind of happened. I I think like my love for firearms kind of developed. I, over time. So I started you know, as we, we talked about before we started recording, you know, I worked at a Harley Davidson dealership. I went to MMI in Florida. I learned how to work on motorcycles because that was kind of becoming like, you know, my passion. I worked in a custom shop that was attached to, you know, a Harley dealership here locally. And you get to see a lot of wild things. Not, a, not all of them are, you know, on the right side of the law, <clears throat> but you get an appreciation for it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not out there. I'm just riding my bike and skateboarding and going to shows, you know, and just trying to have fun uh, where, you know, these dudes are doing what they do and you're just privy to it. You know, that's about it. But <clears throat> you get to later on as, you know, my kind of passion for firearms developed, uh, I had an opportunity to, you know, be a partner at a local gun shop for a little while. And, you know, it's that's kind of really where it started. I was working on motorcycles and then working on cars and then part-time working at this shop and the grind, the nine to five like grind. That is like when you do, um, you know, hourly piece work, like how they pay car mechanics and motorcycle mechanics. That's a, that's a tough on the body. It's tough on the mind. Uh, you don't get paid a lot, you know, and if you want to live, uh, you know, a successful life. I mean, you really got to throw yourself into it. And those guys, they die early, man, because, you know, they're so stressed out and beat to death. Uh, You know, this is, it's tough to live, you know, work till you're 65 doing that type of work. So I knew I had to get out, you know, and randomly a buddy of mine uh, came in and we were talking about another friend of mine coming for like a state inspection and we had gotten to kind of shooting the shit and, you know, I realized he was working for High Threat Concealment, which is a company that I've been, you know, looking at, been watching videos of them at SHOT Show and, you know, was getting ready to order a holster from these guys. So I ended up, you know, by then I was kind of starting to work at this gun shop. I ended up going up there with some of our samples, just being like, hey, this is what we do. You know, it'd be cool to have a partner in town. Yeah. And I ended up, you know, leaving the cars behind, leaving the gun shop behind, you know, throwing in a year and a half there. Uh which is some great experience, some great training. Um, some of those guys are, you know, good dudes. Some of them ended up not being all that great, but uh, in the end, it positioned me uh, to kind of be, well, I just end up, you know, I'm, I'm reading about ballistics, you know, ballistic coefficients. I'm, I'm reading about every type of gun under the sun uh, because they serviced all these weapons. You know, they, they made equipment, you know, anything that you can stick in a holster, uh, they were making stuff for. Sure. So you really get to have a, a broad knowledge base uh, about things like this. Um, I kind of worked my way in from like production, like okay. manufacturing holsters with them uh, into their marketing department. Uh, really started to learn about, you know, Google Analytics and Google Business. And, I, you know, I kind of missed this, but like I was a photographer, uh, just going to shows, shooting photos. So I knew my way around a camera and they needed somebody to do, you know, 
lifestyle photos to fill up their social media machine, to help them do product photography. Uh, so I kind of just worked my way in. And we got to a point with that company where they were just having some financial difficulties. Some people had just made some serious mistakes. And I no longer, you know, the stress of it was no longer worth it. Mm-hmm. And through going to like some trade shows with them, I'd met some super cool people that worked at Vertex. And I was just like, hey, if you guys need any part-time help, you know, here's a video I made. It was funny because we actually had a Vertex commuter sling and a friend of mine, uh, we stuck an MP5 in it and <laughs> we we went around all over the Norfolk like transit system, like on buses, on trains. And I just made like a video of it and I sent it to him, you know, all edited, color graded. Uh, a friend of mine here locally makes music. So I'd like, you know, gotten permission from him to use a track. And that video was like kind of the catalyst for me, you know, to get hired at, at Vertex. Luckily, there were some people there who, you know, saw something in me because uh, I don't have any formal education outside of going to MMI, right? Mm-hmm. I have no college education. I don't have a marketing background. You know, it's all hands-on experience. Uh, so I get to, you know, these people are like, yeah, we want to hire you. You know, we see something, you know, people in the gun industry, you're not worried about talking to, you know, influencers or, you know, famous people within the gun industry. Because fame for me, I'm just unaffected, you know? I'm just like, uh, folks are folks, you know? And I think that most people, even even like people like Kyle Lamb, they just want to be talked to like normal people. Everybody's you a know, dude. Some, couple of the Benghazi 13 Hours dudes, Chris Tano and, and Odie Boone are friends of mine. And I think that they certainly appreciate that I'm not starstruck. I'm just like, I get it. You guys, you know, you've been through it. And that's cool, you know, but we don't have to live every second, you know, uh, of every minute, like surrounded, you know, by that event. Right. There's more to you than that. And I understand that. I think that, you know, my ability to see that in people, uh, you know, has, has helped me greatly. And, and networking has become a, you know, a skill set of mine. And it's not because I want to be the coolest guy in the room. You know, I'm just happy to be there, uh, you know, and share some good moments with people. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of how I got into the the pro staff management uh, side of it and, you know, managing social media. And then, you know, I started just, <laughs> they didn't want the input, but I was given Vertex the input on, you know, products, man. And I kind of, I have this saying, it's called modern tactical application, right? What we did 20, 30 years ago in the field isn't necessarily how we do them today, right? Things evolve, products evolve. <clears throat> You know, weapon systems evolve. Um, the days of the uniform, a soldier have evolved. So, you know, key vertex and the slow visibility stuff. Uh, and, you know, think back to 2015 rifles, every rifle was like 16, 18, 20 inches. Massive. And all of a sudden, you know, those rifles start getting super, super small, they, you know, all the way down to sometimes not usable barrel lengths, depending on what caliber uh, or not, not usable for much. So, uh, Mike Pettengill law folder, you know, he comes out with that thing and that's like a game changer. Yep. Right. But it's a game changer for vertex because now guys want to shove folding rifles into our backpacks and, you know, the state department comes to us and they're like, man, can you guys make one with a removable laptop sleeve? So like, well, cool. So we just take all these DNA points, you know, I'm talking to a guy over here, talking to a guy over here and these are professionals. And I'm just taking all the information in and you got to kind of lay everything out and figure out like what's just a personal want and what's repeatable and usable. Right. 
you know? And so, you know, through that, you know, we've changed our bags. We continue to, to develop um, even our apparel. Our apparel is, you know, shares a specific DNA for every piece that we come out with. And all of that is, you know, developed, you know, by way of knowledge passed to us from experience in the field. Yep. So, so okay, I've got a couple questions because there was some pretty pretty interesting things coming out of that. So I'm going to go back just a little bit, if that's all right with you. Totally. So I know. So you said that when you were leaving, the, and I'm going back right now. I was taking notes, kind of as we were talking, because I was like, "Dude, I'm not going to." It's okay. I, I rambled stuff. on for a hot no, minute. So. You're good. You're good. I I love it because then it's it's fun. I don't know. I enjoy. It. So when you left um, the motorcycle shop, okay, you said that you were kind of privy to a lot of bad stuff going on. Okay. I can only imagine, and I don't have firsthand experience with this, that it's easy to fall into kind of that trap of getting into getting involved with the bad crowd, right? How were you able to avoid that and kind of say, Hey, this isn't for me. And the reason I ask this question is if somebody's in a spot that they're like, dude, I'm kind of surrounded by, you know, shit that I shouldn't be getting involved in, you know, how do I think about getting out of it? If that makes sense. I, I think that, you know, when you're, you're experiencing, so I'm, I'm not a, like, I'm not a drug guy and I didn't drink for a long time. And I think that that really, I like to hang out and socialize, but I'm also not now you listen to this podcast you'd be like, this dude's a talker, but <laughs> I'm actually a pretty quiet dude in normal life. And, you know, when you're a quiet person, people are not necessarily always inviting, you know um, I think that that helped a lot. I think there were also guys within, I'm not going to name off the organization, but they knew that I wasn't this guy. They knew they could call me for specific things, you know, but real bad guy shit wasn't ever going to be my MO. And they knew that. And I kind of told them that I just kind of put my foot down, you know, and, and I'm like, I come into this thing at like 17 years old, mm, you know, okay. and then, you know, I'm seeing a lot of it immediately, you know, drug use, violence, you know, anything that goes along with, you know, biker stuff. And then you also experience it in hardcore. Cause a lot of hardcore kids, you know, they're poor. They come from, you know, broken homes and they, they live in crappy apartments in bad neighborhoods, you know, where gang violence and other, you know, it's, it's a, just a different type of gang violence. You got like hood gang violence as opposed to like, you know, white biker gang violence. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. At the end of the day, it's it's all the same thing. For me, uh, and I've I've definitely gotten in trouble. You know, I'm not like a saint, but I you know I quickly figured out. I was like, I don't like jail. I don't want to go to jail. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to be poor forever. So, you know, I just pulled myself up on my bootstraps and was like, okay, we have to figure out how to like everything in my life has been figuring out how to monetize my situation. Okay. So I was like, I work at this Harley dealership. I need to figure out how to get out of the bike washing, you know, lot rat nonsense and like get into, you know, like working on motorcycles. I need to like, cause I was mechanically inclined. I like worked at a bike shop when I was like a kid. So I knew how to like kind of turn a wrench, but I didn't know how to do it professionally. So, you know, boom, I figured out how to monetize that. <clears throat> and then once the motorcycle thing kind of ran its course, I just wanted to get away. Uh, you know, I just got into working on cars 
you know, I just had to buy a, unfortunately, <laughs> Harley Davidson stuff's all metric. So I had to buy a bunch of, <clears throat> or it's all standard. So I had to buy a bunch of metric crap, you know, to work on cars, you know, and that's just a whole different, you know, ball of frustrating. It's, you know, figuring out how to make the best of those situations. And I, I like to use this term shadow governor. I don't know if you ever heard that before, mm-hmm. but amongst every job, there's always a guy. And it is kind of, I, saw this like on OF nation a few years ago and I'd never seen anybody really put it into words, but there's like, there's this always guy that's whether he's in a a platoon, a unit, uh, he's a, in your, your vertical, it's your job. That's the guy, like, he's not the manager, but he's like the shadow governor. He's kind of like shot train. Yeah. Shot collar. If a hate train needs to get started, cause y'all got to get somebody out of there. He's usually the guy to do it. I figured out, I was like, I just need to be this dude like at every job. You know, I don't necessarily need to be in control, but I need to be able to sway, you know, my, I don't know what's going on around me in my favor. Right. You know, and I've read, a, you know, some, some Harvard, uh, this is going to go super geeky here for a second, but Harvard, you know, business mags, a lot of good information. And they pointed me to a book and I cannot remember it now off the top of my head, but it's about practicing likability, mm-hmm. which phrased incorrectly could be, you know, sounded off as manipulation. Sure. Social but engineering. Social engineering. And and I'm not saying you I go out there and maliciously social engineer uh, you know, everything, because that's ridiculous. But if you see, you know, a group of people that are very resistant and you're stuck with them, well, you've got to do something to improve your situation, right? So, you know, figuring out how to be likable to these folks and just because you're practicing likability doesn't mean it's, it's negative or it's malicious. I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, doing somebody a solid, you know, willing to give a helping hand, you yeah. know what I mean? So think of it more in that context. And, uh, you know, my situation started to improve greatly and I was, I don't want to take us too far down the rails, but, you know, a friend of mine. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Cogworks or not, but mm-hmm. I've heard of them. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Garrett is a super good friend of mine, super, super smart guy. And, uh, you know, we just talked about giving and he's like, dude, I just try to give. And he was like, as long as I'm giving to people, whether it's small or it's big, I don't know if it's just, if I'm just lucky, but it always seems to come back a hundredfold, not even tenfold. I mean, my life is charmed, you know, at this point for all that I've been through. Um, so, you know, I think like the giving part of likability, you know, is, is where like a lot of people, you know, will find their success because, you know, folks, when things aren't going good, it becomes the victim mentality really fast. Yeah. You know, they get on social media, they start venting, it's the vitriol, you know, this negative commentary, everybody sees that man. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, don't ever like, lash out or don't ever have a, you know, an opposing opinion, but, you know, emotional intelligence, you know, plays a huge part in whether people are willing to work with you or not. Interesting. Okay. So I, it's funny because I, moons ago, I don't even know how long ago, I definitely looked at the social engineering type of things. Right. But I haven't, I haven't heard it described in terms of, of likability. Right. Which I think makes sense. And I think that you could certainly take it negatively. But I also think that in terms of doing a solid, right, building the relationship aspect of it, I think is probably the more helpful way to look at it. 
in your, I guess, study experience and practice of that, what have you learned that has been the most helpful or maybe the best resource people could be like, dude, maybe I suck at being likable to go look at. I always, you know, temper and timing are, you know, because people say crazy things all day long, or they say things that are just not realistic or, you know, manageable. And, you know, for a lot of folks that produces, um, you know, if they've got a temper, you know, that produces a reaction that's not necessarily uh, good and shouldn't be on public display. You know, it's like, we always like, oh man, that dude's got an opinion, but he really shouldn't talk about it. (laughs) It's, it's that type of thing, man. And so, you know, so I'm not like a coach or anything like that, but, you know, buddies of mine, you know, be like, what would you do here? And I'd be like, I don't have an advice because I don't, you know, for, for their exact situation. But what I like to tell people is when somebody, you know, says something to you that isn't wise or isn't, you know, right off the bat, isn't going to work, um, hear them out. You know, I like to compartmentalize um, my emotions, meaning if somebody says something that's just like kind of unprofessional or you're just like, man, they're just not really hearing you, fine. You know, you, you, I practice a level of stoicism also. Mm-hmm. And part of that is compartmentalizing your emotions. Uh, you feel something every time somebody says something to you, every interaction you have with another human being, you feel something, right? So you just box all that up, put it away, go, okay, man, I hear you, gotcha, let me get back to you. And if that allows you to, you know, not only process what they've said and take it for what it is, right? Because if it's just text or an email, there's little to no inflection in text, right? right. But if it's spoken word, you, you know, you hear how it's coming out of their mouth. And if it's not coming out good, okay, that requires a lot more management. In an email, you can just reply to somebody, you know, you got to rewrite your emails three times. If you're not doing that, you're screwing up. Uh, you never fire out the first version of an email because, you know, like my boss at Zev, I'm, I'm very direct. And, you know, my boss is like, dude, you're super direct. And I don't have an issue with that. But some people, they need more care. And that's true. <laughs> yep. They do. They and that's, that's not a slight on them. Some people are affected more by how you speak to them than others, mm-hmm. right? You can say whatever, you know, nasty shit you want to me. And I'm just like, okay, man, cool. You know, but some people can't or don't want to be talked to in any sort of direct fashion. So you got to put the kid gloves on and that's fine. That's life. You know, if you're expecting everybody around you, you know, to just, you just go at them like you're a hammer and they're a nail, it's not going to work out for you. You know, being able to read the room is is part of the equation. And then the other part is when the room speaks back, you know, take some time. Yeah. There's nothing in the rule book that says you got to reply right this second. Right. Yeah. So that's a pretty, um, I guess, like introspective thing to be aware of, right? To be able to do that and say, hey, I know this about myself. I know this about the people I'm around. How, how long did it take for you to develop that? and maybe kind of hone in on those skills took me my whole life okay it really became an aha moment about five or six years ago and it took me you know quite a while to polish it because when you come from places like where you know like in a garage those dudes are maniacs 
you know, they're under high stress. They're, they're scratching, you know, for every dollar they get, you know, every minute of the day, it's tough and they're upset and everybody, and it's easy, you know, like that type of behavior, that type of emotional strain is contagious, Yeah, you know, and it's easy to fall into that. And, you know, I experienced it at pretty much every job I ever worked at. You know, and I'm sure you've experienced it in, in everywhere, but in like in an office setting where people are like, you know, the cube farm, yep. where people are like really quiet. And they just wear their headphones and they just stress out to themselves. So, you know, five or six years ago, I started working at Vertex and they have a very professional, uh, you know, office etiquette and my wild ass, like cursing, and, you know, just general ruckus because a, a buddy of mine that worked there, too, was like a second bat ranger. So he was just hell on wheels. Also, we were like oil and water at a trade show, you know, and I come back and in my, you know, my direct report, man, and she's like shaking her head. She loves my work. Right. But she didn't love me. <laughs> yeah. You know? She's like, dude, you suck as like a professional. You suck. And she was much nicer about it because that's that's how she is. But. It took me, you know, it, it meant something. It was like being talked to by my mom, you know? And I think it took her type of personality to be like, dude, you know, because when your mom says it to you, you're like, whatever. Yeah. You know, but like, you know, I'm over 30 years old and I've got a woman who's just a couple years older than me telling me that I suck. Because and you're like, okay, that hurts different. <laughs> you're like, that hurt. Yeah, it hurt different, dude. And it, it forced me into a corner. And, you know, I just... I had to be better. That was like, you know, I want, I'm comfortable with where I'm at, you know, financially. And now I have a good job that I like. I'm not, you know, I'm not waking up at, you know, six in the morning and like getting out in the cold or the extreme heat and like forcing myself to like work super hard. I'm setting myself up for success. Right. And we want this to continue. We want it to expand. So you, you have to expand. You know, you've got to read books, you've got to calm down, you've got to figure out a different way to process information and respond. Yeah, yeah. So in that same vein, right, you said that you have no formal education as far as, you know, I know that you talked about your Google Analytics and the marketing and the photography and everything. Where did where did all of that skill come from? Smarter people than me. And I hate the cliche saying of, you know, if you're, you're in a, a room, you know, and you've, you've got it all figured out, you need to go to the next room. Well, as dumb as it sounds, it's absolutely true. If you're not trying to listen to people who are smarter than you and being purpose driven about being in rooms with people that know more, have more experience and are smarter than you, you know, I'm not saying you're going to fail, but you're going to be stagnant. That's my favorite quote. If you are the, if you find yourself the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Yeah. And Sorry. I've been super fortunate because, you know, a lot of the people that work at Vertex have master's degrees. Uh, and a lot of the guys at Zev have MBAs. And so for the past three or four years, you know, I've been privy to conversations, uh, you know, where I've just learned a lot from these folks. You know, I mean, they've taught me everything from numbers, you know, how to react, um, you know, how to get to the goal line, you know, 
And, and these companies, they don't care how you really get to the goal line as long as you don't kill somebody or, you know, end up in jail in the process. Right. You know, it's business is pretty wide open in this country. You know, it's it's about, you know, relationship building, um, how they talk to each other, the type of language that they use. Uh, that stuff really counts. One of the things I'm really bad at writing emails. Right. And that's why I say you got to write an email three times. I would send an email that was like slightly emotional and. Again, no inflection, right? So they read the email back. And I remember seeing this Bill Burr clip where he's, you know, he asked the dude, you know, about consent in the crowd. And the guy's like, consent. And he's like, see, that's not what I said. That shit came into your ear, got all mixed up with your childhood. And then you just, you know, whatever came out, that's not what I meant. Well, that was what was happening to me, you know, except yeah. these people, were, you know, there's, I don't necessarily if they're smarter, but they, they have more experience and they have an actual background in this. So like I keep getting, you know, so I'm like, dude, I gotta, I gotta pay more attention to what I'm saying and how it's going to be read and interpreted. Mm. Right. You know, in order to attain the response that you're looking for, you got to make it interpretable, you know, otherwise, you know, they might get the wrong idea. Hmm. So when you start sending these emails, just in this hypothetical example, right? How, how, how do you go about doing it in terms of building the relationship to understand, I guess, how do you develop the mindset to understand how it's going to be interpreted given a particular individual? It depends on if you, you like spoken to them or not, right? Is you can, you can kind of measure the approach because you've got an idea if you've spoken to him face to face, you sure. know, and like, like you and I, I'm like, okay, I know this dude's going to be easy going. So I can, I can use terms like, Hey bro, I can be like, Hey man, what's good. You know, the language can soften, but until you get, you know, the, to that point of the relationship, like just be on your best behavior. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have to like over sugar anything, but being professional and minding what you're saying and minding, you know, the tone Look, a great tool out there, and I, I don't use it for uh, tone and inflection, but like Grammarly. Have you ever used Grammarly like uh, in your I, browser? I think in passing, not in any real way. It's it's a you know it's a it's a, a software tool that runs passively in the background of like Google, and I think like a lot of people could take advantage of things. So so. I'll relate this to phones, right? We've got a problem. We all know that. We're seeing how many screens we can get between us and the, the wall at most times, you know? <clears throat> and with uh, text messaging, social media, um, you know, the urban dictionary, <laughs> there's, there's, it's, you know, people don't know how to spell anymore. They don't know how to talk. Uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges coming up for folks, you know, even people, I mean, I'm 40 years old and I, I know other 40 year old dudes who, you know, they're like painful to listen to. You're like, Oh God, man, I just want to plug my ears. You're, you sound awful. And uh, you know, cause I just, I demand more from the, the folks that I know. So what I'm saying is a tool, you know, if you suck, like figure out a way to get better. There's tools, man. They make a tool for everything now. So like Grammarly is great because you know, it not only fixes all your punctuation bullshit, but then, you know, if your sentences are confusing, you know, they're meaning they're hard to interpret mm-hmm. uh, or the, or it can pick up, this thing can pick up tone. That's really? what's wild. Yeah, oh, that's dude, it, it can pick up tone. So it's like, 
you know, you want your, you want your emails to be uplifting, not like uplifting and inspirational, but you, you, you're trying to sell yourself. You're trying to sell a point. You're trying to sell something to them. And in every, in every conversation, you know, in a business, whether it's internal or external, meaning you're talking to a customer, you're talking to somebody else, meaning a boss to an employee, there's a sale going on, right? Yeah. You know, and somebody is going to be uh, the buyer or not. And so it, it would do yourself a solid, you know, to figure out how to say it in the best way possible. So tools like Grammarly, when, you know, they allow you to set the tone, you know, I mean, it, the, those tone parts are like a paid service, but in, you know, if you use it for several months and it teaches you how to be better, yeah, sounds like a win, right? Hmm. That's interesting. I would never have thought that technology could help you with tone. Like I knew it could help, excuse me, obviously with grammar, spelling, confusing sentence structure, but like the feel goods, I would never have thought about that. It's, it's all in the vein of likability, right? Yeah. The more liked you are at a company, the more they're going to feel like you're a team player and the more you're going to feel like you're a team player, which is in turn going to make you want to be more productive. It's going to yeah. make you want to be more successful. So it, it seems anything that you can, you know, and, and you got to like scratch and bite and want this shit. It's not just going to happen, you know, especially if you, you know, end every day with negative thoughts, man, today was a, a, a loss. You know, I don't have many days where I'm like, this day sucked. You know, <laughs> I was like, I try and always like turn some part of that day around. If the business part sucked, you know, we'll make the physical, you know, the physical activity, you know, or, you know, like my relationship with my girlfriend is something you got to end on a positive note. Sure. You know what I mean, don't, don't go to sleep mad. That's yeah. just bad practice. It's like when you play call of duty, you can't end on an L you, you got to finish. Dude, stop playing video games. Turn <laughs> that shit off. <laughs> Go to the gym, get on a bicycle, read a fucking book, turn those fucking video games off, man. That's I quit playing video games six years ago, dude. And I know people that play it and can, you know, be productive. But for the most part, a lot of folks cannot, it's addictive, right? It's like Mm -hmm. looking at Instagram, looking at your phone, dude. And you should be doing the same thing with your phone. You should be looking at screen time on your phone. It's another tool. It's fucking free, man. Yeah. They're trying to make you better. They're like, get off this thing or at least, you know, pay attention to what you're doing on it. You know, if you're spending six hours a day on social media and it's not your job, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're you're fucking up. You're, you're, you're losing ground on your career or your, or your relationship or whatever. Yeah. You're bringing up a good point. And And I think that, so I know like my audience, right, is kind of of the, you know, 20 to 40 variety, right? How, how did you develop that discipline, right? To stay off your phone and stop playing video games, right? Because I think that you could probably preach to me a little bit because I know that I like my video games, totally honest, but I also listen to a lot of books, go to the gym, yada, 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 right? How did you develop the discipline to... There's, there's a balance, right? If, if you can balance your time, like if you're like, Hey man, I'm going to play video games for an hour. Everybody's got an hour to just, you know, kill everyone, you know, fine. If that's the hour and that's how you want to spend it, just remember you can't get it back. Now I'm not the ultimate purveyor of greatly used time. You know, don't get me wrong. We're all working process, you know, in progress and nobody, nobody here is perfect. Right. So 
it took me to just go because I was like a video game nerd for mm-hmm. like a little bit. You know, when everybody gets into the Call of Duty bullshit, you're like, oh, it's cool, and you're you're kicking it with your buddies online. I think a natural, as I you know, uh, a natural just change of interest. It just kind of happened. I was like, and I think the worse, I think the more complicated it got. I think the older that I got, the less fun it was, <laughs> the less fun it got to be. And I'm like, man, I would just rather be doing other shit. And I, yeah. I also have just like a love for bicycles. Like I'm a bicycle dork. And so, you know, my neighbor is like a semi pro down road mountain bikes and BMX bikes, but I hadn't really been on a bike in about 10 years other than like, you know, just riding around the neighborhood. And he was like, dude, you, you have a skill set to do this. You should get involved. And so, you know, I think finding physical, cause I like going to the gym, even though I'm chubby, I do like going to the gym. Uh, I, I like physical activity. I like face-to-face interaction. Uh, and I, I like good conversation over whatever's happening on the internet, which is a lot of toxic nonsense. Um, it's social media, you know, it, it's like, being connected without actually being connected. You're like in a room full of no one. Yep. You know? And I think that those, I started to just feel that and it just made me want to get away. Yeah. You know, I, I don't socialize with a ton of people, you know, I've, I keep about like seven people that I talk to, you know, every day. Getting away from the screen time, whether it's, you know, it, it's about going, you gotta be honest with yourself, which I think a lot of people aren't. They're like, are you eating like shit? Yeah. Okay. Well, stop it. It's easier said than done. It's going to take some willpower, right? The same yeah. thing with video games, same thing with screen time, reading books. It sucks. It's not like it sucks because, you know, it's just not a convenient format, right? This is so <laughs> much easier. It's man. not. An, yeah. <laughs> you know, but is there something classic about it that, you know, you can read a book, like if you're, you don't have to be like a super smart person to like read a book and think about other things or while you're reading that book, process that information and try to figure out how to apply it or take some notes, you know, yeah. use your phone for something good. It's a tool. Take a note. Yep. So, yeah, I, yeah, I sympathize with a lot of those things, right? Reading sucks. I, I can't sit still for very long. And it's funny too, because like thinking about being in a room of nobody, right? That's what social media is, right? Is you're sitting on your phone, you're being surrounded by next to nothing productive, right? And that's, it's kind of funny too, because like, you know, I work from home, excuse me, I work from home, kind of like what I was telling you, right? So like my interaction, 99% of my interactions anymore are virtual. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just kind of funny. Like when I have my, when I do my interviews for the podcast, right. It's, it's kind of funny because it's stemming through social media, right? Like I reached out to you through Instagram, right. But then like, it's turning into this, something that again is adding to more of my screen time, but still being semi-productive. Like I'm learning from this conversation. So it's just kind of funny how, like, that type of balance for me is coming into play. And I'm kind of thinking about what you're saying and trying to apply it to myself right now. So. Yeah, it's well, I mean, again, we, regardless of, you know, who you are in this day and age, we all kind of have the same tools, right. At our, you know, whether they're software tools or they're, you know, it's a hardware tool like a phone or, you know, everything down to a gun. It's, it's how you apply, you know, like everything, man. I mean, I hate to go back to that moderation thing, but it's, 
you know, we're forced into this world where, I mean, I work from home too, right? Both of my companies, I mean, I, I live in, you know, around Norfolk, Virginia, and Zev is about an hour and a half away from Seattle, right? So, you know, luckily I live in this day and age where I'm afforded the luxury, you know, which I'm grateful for to get on a screen and talk to my coworkers and work things out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a positive. But at the end of the day, if I have a ton of screen time, I'm also starving for face-to-face interaction. Yep. yep. You know, it's like if I went all day on my computer just working and not having to be on a screen, at the end of the day, I'm fine with just being quiet. Yeah. Right. But I think like this type of interaction, although it's good or can be good, it's also it wears on you. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that's, you know, the brain it's, it's processing that there's a person on the other end, but not a person in front of them. Yeah. So I think, I think for a mental health aspect, you know, we are a tribalistic species, you know, and further we go, you know, down the rabbit hole of, you know, digital communication, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like when, when I hang up for the day, so my wife works nights, weekend nights. Right. And so it's kind of funny. Cause when I log off for the day, like I'm annoying the hell out of her. Cause I'm like, Hey, Hey, I haven't talked to anybody all day. Hey, how's it going? What's up? And she's like, Jesus Christ, like leave me alone. <laughs> I do the same thing to my girlfriend. Cause she, she works at like a granite shop and we, you know, she's, she's not dealing with people like all the time. Cause it's a small, like, really high end place that only, you know, kind of a a higher tier customer goes in, Sure, but contractors, workers, you know, she's got that face-to-face interaction. She kind of wants to come home and just sit on the couch for a few minutes and and decompress where I'm like, I've been bottled up all day, (laughs) you know, and I'm like ready to talk to somebody for real. Yeah. I feel that my wife's a cop. And so when she gets home, she's like, I've dealt with shitheads and idiots all day. Like, uh, and then she's like, and then I come home to you and you're fucking annoying so it's bad news <laughs> yep yeah it's tough you know <clears throat> um all right man so now with your kind of career that you've morphed into right kind of coming back on task a little bit um you manage like you said some of the pro staffers some of the marketing the go-to-market all of that types of you know types of things which to a guy like me kind of sounds like the dream job right? Like you're kind of doing a lot of fun stuff, meeting a lot of cool people, doing a lot of fun things. How did you kind of take your career in that direction? And what do you feel like helped you most morphing into what you're doing now? So when I got to Vertex, they had already stood up um, a version of a pro staff program. You know, they just hadn't quite figured out, um, you know, that the players they had at the time you know, and we still have plenty of, you know, long-term tenure influencers. So don't, don't take that as anything bad. Uh, and people that we work with, you know, that decide they want to go somewhere, you know, else and work with another brand, I do not fault them at all. I, I believe companies are more successful with symbiotic relationships, meaning, you know, both parties are getting something out of it and both parties are happy. You know, I'm all about organic content. I do not like shilly type stuff. Um, you know, I've got my network of people that we've developed over time and it's, it's worked out for us, you know, better than ever expected. It's a huge part of the brand awareness campaign for Vertex. And I think my, you know, just kind of regular guy approach 
um, has just made a lot of people very comfortable with our brand. I don't make demands. You know, I'm like, I'm going to send you this. You're going to post it. Eek. How cringy is yeah. that type of behavior? You know, and same thing. Otherwise, man, I, I don't believe that there are, okay. This is a caveat. There are bad influencers. I don't want to say that though, because what I feel like is people have shit going on in their lives, right? They've all been through stuff and some influencers, they're just naturals, right? And they, they become self-aware and they're like, man, I could like use this to my advantage or I really like talking to people. Okay. Awesome. Then there are influencers that are not self-aware that have been through a lot and they, they have weird ticks um, or they, they really, really need that like validation. And unfortunately, you know, they've got some growth. Yep. They got some growing to do. And then that's just what it is. I mean, nobody is done growing. If you're done learning, you're an idiot, right? Like <laughs> you're the dumbest dude in the room. So these, these people, like they come up to me and they're like, you know, like little marketing agencies, one or two people, you know, they don't really have a vision and they're like telling me I'm doing everything wrong. I'm like, wow, that's not what the numbers say, but fair enough. I'm, but again, I don't even reply at first. I'm just listening. Yeah. I think these, you know, so I got, I just had a lot of success in the influencer, you know, setting up influencers and here, I'll tell you this quick story. It's kind of cool. A friend of mine, Ian Strimback, He's Rune Nation LLC. He's a, a firearms instructor, former Marine. Excellent dude. Super smart. Got a journalism degree. I had met Ian through a guy named John Bartolo. Um, and basically, Ian was going out. He got invited out to Loophold, like mm-hmm. to their, their flat range, long range. <clears throat> and he was like, dude, I just brought him on to Vertex, you know. And he's like, you got to come out here. He's like, there's already going to be guys who are on Vertex out here. There's going to be some other potential players. There's a lot of good people going. Uh, you should come out here and meet everybody. And I'm like, that sounds super cool. And this is when Vertex didn't have like a budget. And granted, I am I'm two weeks in, right? I've gone to Boston <laughs> with my boss for like a, a thing, like a little seminar thing with a uh, piece of software we we're using. And then this is week two. And I'm like, hey, uh, I need a $1,000 plane ticket. You're like, I'm spending money. <laughs> I'm like, I need a thousand dollar plane ticket. I got to go out here to this range event. Um, I had never been to anything like this. And the guys at Loophold, uh, Nick Kiltica, and some of the other cats, super good dudes. Um, you know, Nick has been uh, essential, you know, to the just the gun industry kind of blowing up. That dude's super solid. And yeah. um, anyway, so I got there, you know, I mean, the T Rex guys the Cogworks guys, uh, you know, Millspec Mojo, uh, Drew Estel from Bear Solutions, former, you know, CAG guy, um, uh, Mike, you know, Mike uh, Grantham, Mike, I don't want to say his last name, but uh, <laughs> I was having to have an edit, but all these folks are out, <laughs> all these folks are out there, right? And I'm just like, well, cool, you know, I'm, I'm here to like, see if you guys want to help me blow this thing up. And I remember, you know, the guy, Mike Bacheleri, you know, who's a, a very serious, you know, like career sniper dude that, you know, is like an optics instructor and, and you know, probably a pivotal part for a loophole, but he's very stern and solemn. And he goes, 
your brand's just another 5'11". I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's like kind of one of those things. And I'm like, ouch, you know, because I'm I've got everybody else, you know, on board. And, uh, you know, Mike later on came to me and he's like, dude, he's like what you did, you know, for Vertex. He's like, I, I honestly thought you guys were just another shit 5'11 type brand. And he was like, now, you know, I see the type of people that are using the product. He's like, I've talked to it. I've used it myself. You know, you did a good job. Yeah. And, and out of all the people that can blow up your, your ego and kind of give you a false positive on the work you do coming from a guy like that, you're like, okay, you're doing the right, you're going the right direction. You know, it's, it's easy to impress the mass, you know, it's that sure. one guy who's the critic, you know, and he's, he's not like a loud critic. He's just that guy. So uh, that, that moment though, that weekend, you know, I got to like, we like stayed in an Airbnb. We like, shotguns, laser things, you know, played with nods. I mean, we just, you know, drank, hung out, partied, whatever you want to call it. Developing those relationships, that was a catalyst moment for Vertex as a brand. Yeah. Because if you were paying attention in 2017 and 2018, we could do no wrong. Yeah. You know, anybody who was anybody was wearing our stuff, was running our gear, you know, and it was just, I mean, we went from being like, and, you know, this was the catalyst moment that gave us, <clears throat> it was like the keys to the brand awareness door, you know? And I think when people are coming up and they're trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to get their brand off the ground, you know, have you ever read that book, Think and Grow Rich? It's mm -hmm. a book from the 1930s. Um, it was, um, Carnegie didn't write it, but he employed a guy to basically go around to all the super successful, wealthy people of the time. And, you know, he's basically like, what is the key to all this? He's like, there's got to be something that makes all these people successful. They have yeah. to share something, right? So that guy went around and he asked everybody. And <clears throat> it turns out the key is opportunity and being able to see when a door is closing and then be on the lookout for the next one opening. Hmm. You know, it's like a guy today who doesn't know jack about anything. And he's working at, you know, a shoe store. All of a sudden, he picks a, you know, his, his interest in uh, crypto is peaked, right? So he dives into the internet, starts learning and figuring it out. Then he starts saving up some cash and invests a few hundred dollars. And then he ends up with 10, 100, $200,000. And all of a sudden, he's wealthy. Right. He saw that, that, you know, that's just a, a very vague example, but it's he was looking for an opportunity, you know, and he wasn't seeing opportunity amongst his normal life. So he had to kind of create one. And that's what I did. I was like, I'm looking for the opportunity. I left high threat and I was like, look, I'm glad, you know, we got to work together. I'm glad you gave me an opportunity. I learned some things here. I might go to Vertex and this might be a shit show. Like I might be back. You know, I was like, I didn't know it was going to work out. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but I, there was an opportunity presented to me and I had to jump through the door. Yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. Um, so when you are, so when it comes to those opportunities, right. So finding and fishing for the opportunities, are you kind of actively telling people that you're engaging with, Hey, you know, I'm definitely open to things or are you like kind of doing it inside? Right. And then keeping your hands in everybody's cookie jars. Like, I guess, how are you, finding, seeking, and making the most of those opportunities? I mean, I'm just, I'm just listening. People are always talking. Uh, but, but now, 
like these days, people just understand that I'm open to work with other folks, right? Yeah. So they, a lot of the times before, you know, in the beginning, I had to seek out opportunity. Whereas before, I feel like I'm just kind of blessed with it, with it coming to me. You know? Yeah. Like, like friends will just call me up and be like, hey, man, do you want to sponsor this thing? I just need some bags. I'm like, yeah, totally. You know, my willingness to give and be a part and contribute, you know, makes me an easy target for people wanting to work with, you yeah. know, which is, which is great for our brands. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, they play it so close to the chest because they're, they're scared to get hurt, yep. you know? And yeah, I've definitely been burned. I'm not going to name any names, but I got burned in the 2018 or 2019 NRA doing a giveaway with a, I don't even want to say they're a firearms vendor. They're a, a firearms, <clears throat> like a custom company, you know? And uh, so, you know, everybody gets burnt several times, you know, and people will put on a good show and they'll tell you what you want to hear. Um, again, you know, you got to use your common sense. But for the most part, I feel like, quote unquote, influencers in the industry, at least in our industry, uh, are generally trying to do good. Yeah. You know, we're, we're a pretty self-policing industry, you know, so if you do some <laughs> dumb shit, like people are really going to get you. You for get it. gassed fast. Yeah, yeah. Dude, dude, they're going to light you up like real hard. So and, and again, there are those folks that are self-aware, so they would never purposely do something ridiculous. And then those folks that are just goofy and unaware, and they're they're like the term I like to use in, in the people that we employ uh, is edutainment, right? Mm. We want to build a community that's legitimate around our brand with our influencers. We want to make good products. We want to offer excellent customer service. And <clears throat> You know, that influencer, he's going to pay the price if we don't, right? Yeah. He's not going to want to work with us very long. So again, the, the symbiotic nature, you know, of the business is to take care of them, you know? And I don't think that influ some influencers necessarily understand that, you know, it's like, they're the only ones who have skin in the game. Yeah. And eh, not, not really, man. I mean, you know, we've got hundreds of employees that depend on this business to feed their families, right. mine included. So you know, we don't want anything bad to happen to it. If I, you know, if you're reaching out to me, you know, look at the state of the brand. Are we really professional? Or are you one of those brands that's just kind of like says whatever, does whatever, really risky? Those brands are out there in the gun industry, uh, but they pay for it, you know, in one way or another, in revenue or in reputation. Yeah. So. So having been the guy that has, for lack of a better word, employed influencers, right? What to you, and I'm not sure how I want to ask this, but what to you uh, makes a good influencer? How, how would you coach up a, an individual that wants to become an influencer, maybe in the long run, right? And an influencer, whether that's just somebody that is the edutainment, like you said, maybe just the education side, the instructional side, whatever the case may be, what to you have to, what would you suggest to folks to maybe grow that skill set to reach out to someone like you? I would say, you know, one, because I'm not an influencer, you know, not, not a public facing one anyway. And I would say you need to look to your peers, right. And, and see what sort of balance that they strike. Mike uh, from last line of defense and Talon Sai are always two of my favorite 
to mention. And their their vertex is, you know, top, you know, top out of the four, top two. And um, you know, John Lovell, a little more, you know, risque in his, but but they're not talking about that now. Very all three of them are very purpose driven, right? John is you know, gun rights, uh, you know, he's he's very Christian, he's very straightforward, uh, he doesn't like you know, certain types of behaviors from the administration or government, whoever it be, um, you know, and he's all about that warrior poet thing that he's like, protect the family, protect your unit, where, you know, Mike is very like family friendly, outdoor, you know, loves some toys. He's like, I want to have a good time, but I'm also pretty relaxed. Talent is kind of the same way. And not that you got to base your formula off of, you know, what any one of these guys are doing. But it's like, you know, look to your peers, quote unquote, and, <clears throat> you know, see where the success lies. Yeah. It's it's not that hard. Now, it it also is like going to Los Angeles and trying to be an actor. You know, it's like one out of every thousand people is going to get plucked, you know, into the starship and, uh, <laughs> you know, be able to make a living off this. And, right. and part of the problem is that people do want to make a living off of it. Don't, don't let it ruin you. You know, like you're trying so hard, you're, you're spending money on guns and things. We've all heard this, you know, you're buying shit to impress people. You don't know. That's literally what's going on with some of these folks. And they, they, you know, they really put a damper on their life by, you know, acting like that. So. I don't know if that, if that, you know, answers the. Yeah. I heard, I heard out of that one don't buy shit to impress people you don't know i think is probably a fair one i think i think that's a fiscally responsible thing to say <laughs> but then uh, be yourself and check your peers right kind of figure out where it is that you want to go and start writing more or less your own song that's kind of what i heard yeah being self-aware right like don't get on the internet and be cringy <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like dude like court jesters are exactly that there we laugh at them you know yeah. all these these fools you know uh dancing on tiktok it's nonsense it's absolutely ludicrous dude if you can if you can split the balance where like you know half of you is professional and the other half is like hey man i'm having some fun like we can tell yeah. we can tell that this is just for fun but these folks that are you know they're tryhards they're never gonna have it you know and and then they end up Wasting money, getting laughed at, wasting time, which is the big one, right? Because we can make more money, right? Can't we can't get that time, time back. Yeah. Nope. Nope. You're only granted so much. Okay. Okay. So of all of your life experience, all the people you've worked with, all the things that you've learned, this is my favorite question. What is there? What is the one thing that you wish you would have known going into all of this or maybe feel that people should be aware of that you didn't know beforehand? my favorite question there is a chance if you you know like friends of mine they're like man i wish i could work in the gun industry i'm like dude look i am in the top percentile of lucky people walking the planet that's facts right yeah. and it also it wears on you right constantly talking to people you know having to deal with the internet uh, the backlash that happens on the internet, it wears on you. And 
I'm not going to say that I love the industry as much as I did because I don't. I respect it. It's an animal. It's an absolute beast of an industry. And <clears throat> if you're not willing to sacrifice a part of yourself to get ahead, you know, then don't get involved. Yeah. This, you know, you don't want to end up coming in loving guns, loving, you know, this this whole the whole vibe that the gun industry brings. And then you find yourself a couple of years later full of regret and animosity and feeling, you know, negatively towards it because the gun industry, the people in it, the influencers, they didn't do any of this to you. You did it to yourself. Nobody, nobody grabbed you by the wrist and drug you in here, you know? So you got to be prepared because it's an, it's an industry full of people that are hard, right? They've been in the military. They've got hard life experience. Um, there's a, you know, there's mental health issues. There's, there's, and those things are everywhere, but yeah. we know that it is prevalent uh, that, some companies, they're, they're just kind of run like the military. It's a very knife hand, directive kind of thing. And um, our, our companies aren't like that. I'm not speaking about our brands, but there are brands out there. And if you don't want to work in those type of situations, don't do it to yourself. You know, do, do something else and just love guns or, or, you know, let guns be your hobby. You know what I mean? It's, uh, and, and same thing goes for influencers, man. You know, you can, you can observe. You don't necessarily, and you can privately partake. See, that's the problem is, is a lot of people, they, they miss the point that like everything they do in life, it doesn't have to be a story. Like yeah. they can privately partake. And I'm, I'm pretty private. I mean, you follow me on Instagram, you see how little I post, you know, maybe a couple of stories, maybe five stories an entire week. Yeah. It's, it's usually something funny. I don't like to post negative things. There's, if you want negative shit, you can get it somewhere else. There's plenty of negative out there, you know, you can feast upon if you so desire. Uh, I just try, you know, that's, so that's me, man. I just don't want to, I don't want to add to the problem, yeah. you know, but it'll be a, a, a source of good in this industry, you know, good information, good knowledge, good leadership. Um, and I think with the critical eye on yourself, you know, went back to that self-aware thing, it's, you you know, truth comes hard, man. You know, and you look at yourself and I'm like, I'm a jackass. So the one thing, the one thing that I, you know, like I said, uh, outside of what, you know, being more self-aware, um, I wish I had had more you know, like emotional intelligence. You know, yeah. I wish I had come into this like less filled with rage and a more polished in, in you know, as an employee, you know, as a, as a, as a leader, because I, you know, who knows, I would be farther. I spent a couple of years jackassing around before I got myself completely together. You know, <laughs> these are, these are the mistakes of, you know, the young, but we That's all, a common we all thing, go though. Yeah. 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 You're not alone in that one. We're, we've all done that, man. I wish I, you know, knew then what I know now. Yeah. It's like, well, you, you do the information is out there now. You know, yeah. it's like, and you're, you know, Hey, your parents always told you, but you don't want to listen to them. You want to hear from somebody you respect. Right. You know, <laughs> As a teenager, you're like, oh, my parents, whatever. Yeah, so. they, don't, they don't know. They don't know what I'm going through. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I am fresh out of questions. Is there anything that we glazed over, didn't talk about, or that you feel 
excuse me, is uh, is important to to get after? No, I think we've we've covered a lot. You know, for the you know how to get somewhere. I think it's you know what the the, the big takeaway is emotional intelligence. Um, you know, soft skill sets. Figure out you know if you want to be in a marketing department. Figure out you know how to use graphic design tools. How to use how to run a camera. You know, developing those soft skill sets, and then you know developing uh, you know verbal skill set. So like your ability to be likable and, you know, to positively network with folks. I think those three things are key uh, to success in any industry, not just firearms industry, but, you know, they'll carry you. Dan, once again, man, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope everybody listening, hope you all took some good information away, uh, you know, about soft skills and understanding maybe how to navigate uh, kind of where do you want to go and uh, understanding that really, like Dan said, those soft skills really will carry you. So with uh, with that being said, uh, today's episode, like I said earlier, is uh, brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. So be sure to use code Vanguard on Black Rifle's website. But otherwise, I hope you all have a great week and we will catch you next time.